0: This is Stanford's Center on Democracy Development and the Rule of Law podcast. We are studying why governments fail. We are going to talk about economic and political development at home and around the world. Welcome to the CDDRL's Democracy World.
1: Hello. This is Democracy World podcast. My name is Frederick Few. I'm a GSK Research Fellow here at Stanford. I'm here today with Professor Francis Fukuyama, a world famous political scientist, economist, and author. He is the Mosbacher Director at the CDRL, the Center for Democracy, Development, and the Rule of Law at Stanford University. Frank, thanks very much for being here. Thank you. Last week we see an amazing event with one of the most uh, prominent CEO of Silicon Valley, Mark Zuckerberg, being grilled for 10 hours before Congress about the recent events surrounding uh, Facebook. I assume you didn't have that much time to spend, (laughs) but uh, you must have listened part of it. What was your reaction against your expectations?
0: Uh, I think that uh, we are actually at a very interesting moment because the politics uh, of the platforms has really, really shifted just in the last two weeks. Uh, This has been building for some time, so, you know, for the last 10 years or 15 years, there have been complaints about bad actors using Facebook and other platforms to promulgate, you know, uh, sex trafficking and pornography and child abuse and, you know, hate speech and so forth. By and large, there's been a lot of public support for the platforms. They've been very popular. But I think the Cambridge Analytica uh, revelations uh, really sparked a a very, in fact, um, I was just at a a conference on on this very topic with a lot of the people specializing in this and one of them characterized this as a moral panic, uh, which suddenly arose when people realized that there was a foreign government that was using Facebook to interfere in an American election. Uh, And so uh, the politics has really changed. Uh, Facebook uh, has come under so much criticism for this whole, uh, I I, I think everything that's built up over the last 15 years is now coming out, you know, triggered by this, um, uh, this revelation. Mark Zuckerberg saying as he did in 2016 that it was a pretty crazy idea that Russians had any impact on the election, uh, now admitting that this was happening uh, and then um, even inviting a certain amount of regulation uh, on the part of the um, uh, U.S. government and, and certainly a lot of it is coming in Europe uh, because I think he realizes that they can't resist this any longer. I, I would say one further thing which is actually related to uh, our institutional role here at Stanford One of the important things uh, that has happened is that Facebook, for the first time, is actually going to allow academic researchers to have access to their own uh, data, which up till now they've really kept uh, uh, pretty hidden. Uh, And in fact, Nate uh, Priscilli, who is my colleague in the project on democracy and the internet that's sponsored by the Knight Foundation, is going to be one of two social scientists that's going to come up with a Uh, basically a portal by which other academic researchers will be able to look at issues like, you know, did Facebook actually have an impact on election outcomes, not just in the United States, but in France or in Britain or Italy or, you know, other places. I think that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done because if you uh, say that there needs to be regulation, anytime you begin to look at the details of it, uh, it's a really horrendously complex uh, issue. Uh, but things will change, and there's a political moment now where I think we can take advantage of.
1: Specifically, when it comes to academic research, it seems to me that when I'm talking to uh, academics uh, or people who are trying to, to get some... Uh some informations uh, from Facebook. I think they seems to uh, close down actually. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of surprised that they are going to reopen the gates, yeah, the flood gates of their data.
0: So that was a danger uh, because uh, Cambridge Analytica had misused the access that it was given. Uh, that Facebook would react by saying nobody has access, but they haven't done that. You know the problem with Cambridge Analytica is they just weren't paying attention. They 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 didn't realize that this was a bad actor that that would, you know, fraudulently uh, use their terms, uh, you know, the the contract that they had with them to do things that they weren't supposed to do. So I uh, imagine that they're going to be super careful. Uh, The people that are going to be given access to the data, I I suspect, are going to be vetted really, really carefully to make sure that they're legitimate academic researchers and not, you know, an operation, uh, a political operation like uh, Cambridge Analytica.
1: Was Facebook instrumental in the uh, victory of Donald Trump?
0: Uh, That's one of those questions no one can answer. Uh, I think that uh, we at Stanford have a couple of research programs that are going to try to get a little bit at the core of that. But if you don't actually know what motivated people to go into the polling place and pull the lever a certain way, which we really don't have access to, you're you're never going to answer that. Uh, definitively.
1: When we look at the number, we have 126 million of Americans which has been touched by the Russian manipulation out of 137 uh, American voters. It sounds quite a huge proportion.
0: Well, that's true. On the other hand, there's a recent study that tended to show that people uh, that listened to these uh, ads were people that were convinced anyhow. I think that uh, one of the things that it looks like Facebook was guilty of was not doing sufficient due diligence into the, you know, the people that were buying their services. And I think uh, they're going to be forced to, uh, you know, down the road. How would you characterize
1: Facebook's attitude? Would you say it is negligence, uh, recklessness,
0: or kind of cynicism? Uh, Well, look, I I don't want to pile on particularly to Facebook at, at the particular moment. I would say that their situation is the following. Uh, they have de facto become the world's largest media company. Uh, In many countries, not just the United States, they are the ones who decide what people are going to see, what kind of information they're going to have access to. Uh, And they make some things more prominent than others and suppress, you know, other kinds of information. Uh, So they're acting as a media company. Uh, But they, uh, up till the present, have wanted to pretend that they are just a platform meaning that they're like a telephone company, right? We don't hold the telephone company responsible for uh, telephone conversations that are carried over their wires. And that was the original regulatory uh, assumption that was made in the 1990s when the current regulatory regime was established, that these platforms would be exempted from liability for anything they carried uh, on their platforms as long as they were not media companies and, and as long as they didn't try to censor or to make editorial decisions uh, and that sort of thing. This, is, um, this comes out of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act which was passed in the, in, in the 1990s and so I think Facebook uh, to this day has tried to maintain this posture. I think that you know we've discovered that social media can be harmful de- to democracy by amplifying you know, fake news, uh, you know, targeted um, uh, uh, campaigns of vilification, you know, this sort of thing. We, we shouldn't overreact in a certain sense because people were simply not aware of this a couple of years ago. Now they are aware, and I think that we're in the process of trying to come up with uh, solutions to these sorts of problems. And I suspect that, you know, some of them uh, will be solved either by technology or by a different kind of, a regulatory regime. The problem I think um, lies in the future because there are new technologies coming online that will be even more uh, damaging in a certain way. So you now have the possibility of you know what are called deep fakes where you can fake an audio recording or you can fake a video of some public you know persona uh, and you can get that person to say things that he or she never actually said. Uh, so that the authenticity that we have assumed coming out of photographs or audio recordings or, or you know, taped interviews, we can no longer take for granted. So the, the technology, I think, provides a, uh, a moving target.
1: Coming back to the hearing, don't you think that we are touching the limit of the technical abilities to lawmakers to, uh, to dive into the subject? What even competent lawmaker mm-hmm. can do about this?
0: Yeah, it was a very amusing moment with some of the senators, you know, some of whom are in their 80s and had never used social media asking these very naive questions about how the technology worked. Lawmakers don't know the technical details of airline safety regulation, food safety regulation, all these things that, that require a lot of expertise, you know, to get right. Uh, so I think that Sure, they were naïve and they were asking the wrong questions. Uh, And I think that the first regulations that get uh, issued will overshoot the mark because the political momentum is now uh, in that direction. I think the German Facebook law, for example, is really too draconian and will actually, you know, have real bad consequences for free speech. Uh, But that's the way the legislative process works. You know, there's a constant uh, back and forth as people uh, try something and then they see that it doesn't quite work and so they go back. And And in any event, you know, the detailed um, uh, regulations that come out will not be generated by 80-year-old senators. It'll be generated by staff, you know, that has the kind of expertise I think that would be necessary for this. The big regulatory push right now is not in the United States. It's It's coming from Europe with this GDPR, the general data privacy. Uh, regulations that the European Commission has generated. Uh, Because Europe is such a big market for Facebook and Google and everybody else, uh, you know, they pretty much said that their adjustment to this new law is going to be global. So, in effect, the Europeans are regulating, you know, what Americans are going to be seeing and that's really, I think, the big stick that's being held over their heads uh, at the moment.
1: Could you think of any blueprint uh, in the legal arsenal and, and the, the legislative arsenal in this country that could help to deal with this kind of company?
0: There are different kinds of regulatory uh, solutions. For example, right now the Europeans, uh, which have much stricter privacy laws than the United States, uh, are trying to get those enforced on these big platforms. and. Um, You know, they're using the power of the state uh, amplified by the, you know, the scope of the European Union to, uh, you know, force them to tighten up their their privacy protection. So that's uh, another route that can be taken. It would be not that difficult to try to extend existing American laws that prohibit certain kinds of foreign interference. Either, you know, at a minimum, you can require disclosure of funding sources when people buy advertising on a social media platform, Uh, it might be possible to outlaw it uh, completely. Uh, But again, you run into these big problems with the underlying technology. So a lot of what the Russians did in the American election was not to campaign overtly for a particular candidate. Uh, In some cases, it was actually to Uh, encourage Democrats to move to more left-wing positions, you know, to exacerbate the underlying Mm. polarization. One of the things that makes social media different from traditional media is just speed and scale. So social media can take a single incident and send it around the world within seconds. And so there may be ways of slowing that down, of restricting the virality of certain kinds of information based on, you know, Uh, their content so that you're not uh, prohibiting you know somebody from saying a certain thing but you're just not replicating it you know a million times uh, as a matter of some AI program trying to maximize the number of clicks that you get on
1: Coming back to the issue of regulation versus uh, self-regulation Tim Cook recently said he's actually very critical of of, of Facebook he say that uh, before talking about regulation let's talk about self-regulation do you believe that a platform such as Facebook has the ethics to regulate itself?
0: There's degrees of regulation. And so it's already the case that they have changed some of their policies uh, and they've, you know, they've started to tweak their algorithms. And I think that this is going to continue because they're under a huge amount of scrutiny and public pressure uh, to do this. Uh, I think the question is, how far does that go? And what sorts of activities are they really going to try to Uh, self-regulate. And one of the big problems is that the attitude they've taken over the past year is basically to say, oh yeah, we we see that this is a problem, just trust us, we'll fix it. Hmm. Uh, Without actually anybody being able to scrutinize too closely exactly what it is that they've done and I think that that answer is not going to be good enough. Yes, there is going to be self-regulation and that's going to be a good thing, but you can't simply trust them to do the right thing. That There probably has to be more actual public intervention or, you know, public setting of boundaries around what they do. We're getting
1: the sheer dimension of this kind of company. I mean, Zuckerberg himself say that Facebook is no more like a government than a traditional company. Government have checks and balances. Mm-hmm. Do you think there is a need to invent something else in, in terms of checks and balances for this kind of company?
0: Well, I don't think that within the structure of contemporary capitalism, you can actually Uh, come up with that kind of structure. The checks and balances are external to these companies and they exist. So, the threat of regulation is a check uh, on them. The threat of losing uh, customers and advertisers is a, is a check on them. Uh, And so I think that uh, to the extent that these checks exist, it has to be through the mobilization of these external players uh, rather than somehow changing the internal structure. I mean, you know, I guess, At one extreme, if Facebook were to turn itself into a gigantic (laughs) non-profit where their goal was not profit. Which is very unlikely. which is Hmm. very unlikely, but, you know, conceivably if if they decided, if Mark Zuckerberg said actually, all right, we're going to take the company private and then we're going to turn it into a 501 c 3 and we're not going to make any money anymore, you know, that would solve uh, some of the problem at least, but I, I don't think that's likely to happen. When
1: it comes to the European attitude, um, there is a much more aggressive stance toward tech giants. What's your assessment of the, uh, the EU strategy? Well, I'm
0: really glad that Europe exists because you're not going to get much pressure for regulation from the American side. Europe, in general, has a different attitude towards the state that, that the United States does. Part of American uh, political culture is to be highly distrustful of government, and that simply doesn't exist in Europe, and therefore... Uh, Americans are instinctively hostile to government regulation, uh, and the Europeans are not. This has ramifications in a lot of different areas. For example, the First Amendment. Uh, Americans interpret uh, the First Amendment and our uh, guarantees of free speech in a much more absolutist way than most European countries do. So uh, many European countries outlaw certain kinds of hate speech in a way that you know, our Supreme Court would not uh, support. I think that these reflect the different historical experiences of these different countries. I don't know that one is necessarily better. I do think that the current, especially the German Facebook law, uh, is too punitive, and I think it really does risk putting some real constraints on free speech. And so uh, I think they're going to need to dial it back because they're going to find that you know essentially it's going to quash you know legitimate forms of discussion if. Uh, you know, if if companies have to be that worried about, uh, you know, about uh, the kinds of penalties that are embodied uh, in that law. So I think there has to be kind of a balance struck. And I, I suspect that that's what's going to happen. I think right now uh, in the United States, the possibility of real regulation is made much more difficult by the degree of polarization that we have. So. You know, in my humble opinion, I think that the President of the United States right now, uh, Mr. Trump, is like the biggest purveyor of fake news of anybody in the United States. And so it's very hard to imagine his administration agreeing to a regulatory regime that would make it more difficult for him to spout all the things, all the nonsense that he, you know, he spouts regularly. That's just not going to happen. I think that you might get consensus on narrower sorts of issues so, for example, foreign interference in American political processes. Maybe you can get some bipartisan consensus on that sort of thing. Maybe you could get some tweaking of Section 230, you know, uh, although that's a rather complicated issue that's got a lot of unanticipated consequences. Could, could you
1: elaborate on the Section 230?
0: Well, so again, this is what exempts platforms from liability oh, yeah. for, okay. for um, what they carry on their, mm. on their, uh, on their platforms. Uh, And you could relax that or you could give them more leeway, you know, to make uh, editorial decisions that would make the, I mean, you could abolish that section altogether and say, okay, they are media companies. Uh, Each of those has good things attached to it, but also bad things attached to it. And so uh, I, you know, I think we have to be very careful in the way that we uh, proceed with any of these kinds of regulatory uh, changes.
1: Uh, Recently, The Intercept uh, reported that Facebook, that the uh, ICE um, is actually using Facebook data to track down uh, illegal immigrants.
0: Yeah, so that, um, uh, you know, that sort of combination of Facebook's holding this private data with government power is something that everybody should be very wary of. You know, the U.S. government Uh, should not be in the business of buying Facebook's information in order to enforce uh, you know, its own policies. But that was the point I was trying to make is that so I don't know about this, this particular charge about its working with ICE. Uh, That's what I think people should be worried about. But the reason I was saying that most people aren't that worried is that that's not what they're about. They're not, you know, they're not trying to empower governments to track their citizens. They're basically you know they're just trying to make money off of it, and that's what I think, kind of assures people that, you know, they can they can worry. I mean, you know, uh, why is it that uh, you trust your uh, your internet provider? You know, whether it's Comcast or AT and T or whatnot, with this information about all the websites you visit. So it turns out, like Pornhub is the biggest website, uh, in you know terms of volume in the United States. I mean, I, I don't know whether it's literally the biggest, but it's it's really, really big. It's big. Right? Mm-hmm. And they could uh, turn that information over to people that want to smear individuals and say, look, you know, we mm-hmm. know that you're watching pornography on the internet and we can prove it and, and so forth. Uh, so why do people, you know, trust that at and isn't going to do this? Well, you know, that's not part of their business model. Uh, they would, you know, it would hurt them a lot if they started using that data in that fashion. But like I said, I do think there are checks and balances. So again, why is it that they don't align themselves with governments? Why is it that they do not accept like a contract from the Republican Party to you know, to help the Republicans win the next election? I think it's because they realize that half of their users would then leave, you know, if, if that happened. And that's a kind of protection, you know, the fact that they've got a commercial interest that, you know, really should tell them to be politically neutral. Uh, I think that's a kind of check on, you know, their behavior.
1: The, the American government is, uh, is set to request five years of social media history for all visa applicants. There is now 14 million people potentially
0: involved each
1: year. What do you think
0: of that? Uh, I think that this is a bad policy. Uh, I think that The benefit, the purported benefit will be that you can identify people that are potential terrorists and the number of those people is just minuscule. On the other hand, this is going to be a big deterrent to people coming into the United States because uh, most American citizens would not like to give up to the government five years of their social uh, media history either. Uh, and, you know, this befits an administration that basically doesn't like foreigners and isn't particularly interested in having foreigners come to the United States, uh, which I think is, is a very foolish policy because I think we benefit from the fact that, you know, foreign students want to study in American universities or foreign scientists want to come to conferences in the United States uh, and the like.
1: When I'm listening to you, I can't help but wonder To which extent, for instance, the United Nations could step in, providing the basic of how this platform could be used and what could be acceptable and not acceptable? I understand it would be extremely complicated to have some kind of common grounds, but to which extent we could have a a transnational body that could jump into these issues?
0: Well, I was actually just at a workshop in which someone suggested precisely that, uh, using the ICCPR you know, this human rights convention that many countries have agreed to, which does have provisions about, you know, privacy and a lot of other things, basic respect for, you know, uh, rights. And I think uh, as, (laughs) as the discussion progressed, uh, you know, what many people began pointing out is that, uh, first of all, these provisions are stated so generally that they don't actually provide any useful guidance on precisely a kind of issue like the ones we've been discussing. And furthermore, you know, many of these signatories to these human rights conventions are the biggest abusers of human rights. Yeah, that's a (laughs) common ground. And so I'm I'm really not sure, you know, uh, the problem is that those human rights conventions hide really big differences in attitudes towards human rights. So it's not as if there's this existing consensus that we can just apply and, and have it solve our problems. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by Stanford's Center on Democracy, Development, and the Rule of Law. Feel free to use it in the classrooms and for other educational purposes. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Media.